Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. If you work in developer relations, soon enough, you will be asked to give a conference talk. It's one of those essential skills. Our guest today is pretty special. Trish Lynch is an anchor, broadcaster, and reporter. And she's here to tell us how to present professionally, both to camera and on stage. Our talk is all about the little details, how you can use deliberate mistakes to get the audience on side, why you should never be afraid of the listening face, and why, ultimately, personal stories make for the best kind of presentations. And finally, we also talk about how to liven it up for the camera so you can do well on those hybrid and virtual events. All righty, Trish, let's talk. Trish, welcome. It's fabulous to have you here today on the Fireside with Foxgate podcast. You are a TV presenter and a public speaker and somebody that I'm sure uh, us techies can learn quite a bit from. Uh, let us start with uh, the number one problem that people face when they want to get up on stage and speak at a conference, which is dealing with stage fright. Uh, a lot of us have figured out various ways to overcome it. Do you still have stage fright? Did you ever have it? Oh, my goodness, yes. Richard, first, um, thank you for inviting me on here this morning. I've been listening to all your other ones, and um, the bar is set very high. So uh, thank you for having me. Um, and stage fright, oh, my goodness, yes. I remember one of the biggest, one of the first jobs I ever did was Sony booked me to do a 22-day talk at 22 different locations. Oh, my goodness. Uh, about Blu-ray televisions. Um, and yeah, and you know, so we're going back a bit here, you know. Um, I didn't know anything about Blu-ray. They gave me this really long script that I had to learn. They didn't want me to use any notes. And of course, the really scary thing was I was presenting to people that worked in their stores that sold their products. So people in like Curry's and Dixon's and, you know, all the big electrical stores. So these people knew their onions. They knew their All stuff. the technical details. Yeah, exactly. They knew it all. And I was up there um, telling them how to do their job, basically, and telling them all about Blu-ray TVs. And I remember the fear going in on the first morning, I was hoping I'd be run over by a bus and I wouldn't have to go and do the job because I was so terrified. <laughs> yeah. I was absolutely terrified. That was, oh, you know, that was 20 plus years ago. Um, and I still get a little bit of stage fright even now. Nothing like, you know, hoping a bus is going to run me over. Nothing of that level. But I can appreciate and understand how frightening it is. And there's certain things that I think can help. A friend of mine, he's an anxiety coach, an amazing guy called, mm. Stu called Stuart Thompson, and he calls them stones in your pockets. And basically, stones in your pockets, it's a stone for every fear or every concern that you have before you go on that stage. And his belief is that you need to get rid of as many of those stones as you possibly can before you make your way onto the stage. So things like knowing the script inside out. and. When I say the script, I don't mean learning it verbatim because I think, well, for me anyway, I think that's a big no-no because if you forget one word or you lose your way, you're screwed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think learn it 
um, in various different ways. And saying it out loud, for me anyway, is the key. So in your bedroom, when you're in the car, when you're out walking the dog, out loud. Because saying it in your head and rehearsing it in your head is all very well. But you're not going to do that when you're on the stage. You're going to be talking out loud. So get used to hearing your voice. Get used to putting the intonation in, the energy. Just get used to hearing yourself. And of course, we all have smartphones now. So you can record yourself and you can look back and go, oh, my God, no, that was awful. Oh, yeah, that bit was quite good. And you can learn just by looking back at yourself. But learning verbatim, no, no. Um, Say it in lots of different ways so that if you do lose your way, you have lots of other ways to come back to it. Um, And saying it out loud is definitely, you know, for me, it is definitely the most important thing. Can you... Um, the idea of recording yourself, and I've been given this advice, but I've never really yeah. done it, right? Because I just, it's just so cringy listening to yourself in a recording. I, I almost can't deal with it. Is that, I mean, given your line of work, is that just a professional thing you have to get over? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, good. In the early days, I couldn't bear to listen to myself. I couldn't believe I sounded as Irish. I was like, oh my God, I don't sound like that. I really didn't think I sounded like that. Um, and we do sound different when you hear yourself because yeah. when you speak, obviously your ears are on the side of your head and you hear yourself in a different way. So when you tape yourself and you listen to yourself back, you do sound differently. It's a fact, you do. So getting used to how you sound is another important thing. Um, so there are like a few stones that you can get rid of out of your pocket. So know it inside out in lots of different ways. Say it out loud, record yourself. And then when when you get to the venue, and I think this is one of the most important things, and it's something mm. really, really small, and a lot of people don't do it. Um, get on the stage beforehand yes, if yes, you can. Yes, yes, Stand yeah. on the stage, look out. Obviously, it's going to be empty, but look out and get a feel for what it looks like so that the first time you see the audience or the first time you see that room from the stage isn't when you're on there getting ready to do the speech of a lifetime. You've already seen it. Um, walk around the stage, get used to where you're going to stand. You're going to stand behind the lectern and you're going to stand in the middle. Where are you going to position yourself? Kind of choreograph it out. Um, there might be slides, there might be a whiteboard, but just get used to where you're going to be and how you're going to navigate your way around that stage. So that's a, another stone that you can get rid mm. of. Um, the microphone. Now, as we all know, there's lots of different microphones. Sometimes the microphone is attached to the stand, so you can't move. You're basically stuck to the stand. Um, sometimes you have a lapel mic, which means you have freedom. You can walk around. Sometimes you have one of those Madonna mics, which are those yeah. mics that go on yeah. your head and you, and you have a thing at the front. Um, and if it's on the right-hand side, if you move your head to the left, if you're gesturing to the left, sometimes you can lose the sound. So again, if you can hear yourself in a microphone, have a look, what kind of microphone is it? Okay, it's a lapel one I can move around. And if the sound guys have any time, ask them if you can just hear your voice. And then that's another thing. You've heard your voice. Say the first couple of lines. Hello and welcome. My name is Trish Lynch. I'm delighted to be here today. Something like that, just so you can hear your voice. And that's another thing that you've taken care of. Um, the clicker. Now, the clicker <laughs> brings many people to a sticky end because 
it's something really simple, but they're all very different. So if you have slides to show, sometimes you press once for forward, twice for back. There might be an arrow going forward. They might be mm. on the side. <laughs> have a look at them. Yeah. It's something really simple, but people are on a stage and they're worried about loads of different things, the presentation, what do people think of them? Are people bored? Everything is going on in your head, making it super scary. And if you press it and it zooms through three or four slides it catches you off guard and you don't oh, want yeah. that. So yeah. find out how it works. Simple things, the microphone, the stage, the clicker, sort them out. Um, breathing. I know um, Oshin was on a while ago and he was talking about how it's important to breathe. And you would imagine that we just do that naturally. But when we're scared, we do that, that shallow breathing. So all the air just stays in your chest. And your vocal cords are basically two flaps of skin. So, you know, just like an elastic band, really. And they only work, they only vibrate if the air from your stomach pushes through them. So if you don't have any air in your stomach where you need it to be, you're not going to have a voice. Or you might have a voice, but it might be squeaky or it might stop or your tongue might stick to the roof of your mouth. And that's because you haven't got the air in the right place. So what you need to do is when... People who do Pilates or yoga will know this. But when you breathe in, if you say to someone, like if I say to you, Richard, breathe in, you may kind of suck your stomach in because that's what you think happens naturally. But in fact, it's the exact opposite. When you breathe in, your stomach fills with air. So it goes out. So if you find yourself super nervous and your voice is beginning to go, that's because you need to just recalibrate and think, okay, I need to breathe and I need to make sure that my stomach comes out. And even, you know, just put your hand down there with your notes and just feel your stomach calming out gently. Nobody will notice. And once you get that air in the right place, your voice comes back. So um, that's a really great tip, I think, for when the voice goes and it goes a bit squeaky and you get super nervous. Just think, okay, I need to get the air where yeah. it needs to go. Yeah. A lot of these are super practical. Are these just tricks of the trade that you've learned over the years through hard experience? Or did you did you get coaching? Did somebody teach you? No, I didn't get any coaching. I learned on the job. <laughs> the best way, the best way. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, they're super practical and they're all simple, but they're easy to overlook. You know, yeah. Yeah. the little things that can throw you off guard because you want your presentation to be the best that it possibly can. And you don't want to be concerned with all the other nonsense that's going on about where you're going to stand the microphone, all of those things. If you can get them put to bed out of the way, then you can concentrate on your performance because that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, and the audience and, um, and energy is another thing as well. I think when we're super nervous, and we're really concentrating on the facts and the figures, and we're trying to make sure we don't forget anything, um, make sure that you kind of keep that energy going because uh, it's easy to let the energy slide because you're thinking so hard. Um, another thing I do as well is cards, little tiny cards that you can have in your hand. And I think a big fear with a lot of public speakers is that they're going to forget. To yeah, oh, yeah, mine goes blank, right, in the middle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like it does. I mean, it happens to me too. But cards, and they just fit in the palm of your hand. You glance down and you see, okay, I want to talk about IT solutions. And maybe there's two or three facts that you want to include. Just write them in bold. So just words. You don't want a script. You don't want reams of paper. You 
just one IT solutions and then three facts that you want to include. And then when you're finished that, glance down, move that card to the back of the pile. You look down, the next thing is data storage or whatever it is and the three facts. And that way, you know everything's going to be in order. You're not going to forget any of the key points and you're going to be on track. And that's another thing that you don't need to worry about. So getting rid of... I would really endorse this one, uh, but I have one extra piece of advice. Uh, I did this for my wedding speech, Ooh. got up and then dropped all the cards on the floor. <laughs> <And what happened? laughs> you know what? It was fine. Apart from uh, some heckling from my aunts, uh, I was okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, and that's another thing, right, isn't it? it? It actually doesn't matter what goes wrong, really, because the audience wants you to succeed. And they, they will do. forgive an awful lot. I think the audience likes a little bit of, um, not mistakes, but I see, because I'm obviously there the day beforehand usually, and I see all the really big names. I see them rehearsing. So um, yeah. They, yeah. They, they deliberately put a lot of gaffes in. So it looks like, oh, no, um, oh, hang on a sec. It's all scripted. It's all scripted because they know the audience love that. The audience like to see that you're normal, that you you know that you're not infallible, that you can make a few mistakes, and it kind of makes them like you a little bit more. And a lot of the really big names, I won't mention them, but like a lot of them, that's all rehearsed. That's all put in. Maybe they're dropping the cards. The you know, um, going. Oh no no no! I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say this. Sometimes it's rehearsed because they know the audience will warm to them more because it makes them just like you and I, just normal. We're, we're, we're talking about ninja level stuff now, right? Where you deliberately add mistakes. But I, I like that. That's a new one for me. Yeah. I've heard that a one friend before. Of, um, a friend of mine wrote this book um, based on Bill Clinton. He followed Bill Clinton all over ah, the world. Oh, and yes. He, yeah. And he wrote a book called The Clinton Factor, and it was based on – Bill Clinton, the motivational speaker and the charisma that the man had. He's like, you know, listed as possibly one of the best public speakers of all time. People love him. But he was speaking at Trinity College in Dublin and um, he came out and all of that about putting in pauses, letting the audience wait. You know, as as we were talking about earlier before we start this, I wish people talk really fast, you know, where... We we don't like there to be any spaces. We like to fill all the empty spaces. But um, pauses can be really powerful. But Bill Clinton, anyway, Trinity College, he came out and he made the audience wait for two whole minutes before he spoke. Wow. He came out. Oh, my he God. Opened, he opened his briefcase. He shuffled his papers. He cleaned his glasses. He, he faffed about for two whole minutes. They were on the edge of their seat. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us I mean, the nerve it takes, right? The nerve to do that. (laughs) Yeah, two whole minutes, yeah. And they were champing at the bit. They couldn't wait for him to start, and he went down a storm. But um, So the odd pause is really powerful. You know, just pause for an impact. Pause and get a feel for what the audience think. Um, Oh, and another thing as well, which I always mean to talk about and I always forget, is the listening face. So when you're standing on a stage and you're looking out at a sea of faces, when I'm talking to you one-on-one, we're nodding, we're letting the other person know that we're engaged and we understand and we're, oh yeah, you know, nod, nod, nod. But when you're talking to a group of people, they don't need to respond in that way. And it looks like Mm. they just have blank faces and it, it can 
to, you know, someone who's not really used to public speaking, it can look like people are deathly bored because it's right. just this okay. sea of blank faces. But really, that's just people, how they are when they're in a group, when they're listening. And when I say that to people, they go, oh, God, I'm so glad you said that because I just looked at it and I thought they were really bored. And if you look out on a sea of faces and you think you're doing a great job and th- and to you, they look really bored, it can really kind of throw you off your game. So if you just remember that blank faces staring at you doesn't mean they're bored. It just means that as a group, they're listening and they don't have to respond if it's like two or three or a one-on-one situation, it's a different kind of setup. So blank faces doesn't mean they're bored. They might be, but that's, yeah, but, I, I've, but yeah, not. that's an easy one to. That's an easy mistake. I mean, I, I can I can definitely understand that because I've thought I have thought that at talks that I've done for sure. <laughs> um, oh, okay, maybe they went I'm, better than I thought they did. <laughs> I'm sure they were listening intently. I'm sure they were absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, so I mean, you you picked up all this experience and. and you know, have have all these. Okay, what what I love about this is they're they're kind of super practical um, because you, you've, as you said, you kind of learned it on the job. But the other question I had for you, um, because you're a TV presenter and you do all this stuff, um, which some people would describe as as a dream job. How on earth did you get into this line of work? Oh my god! Do you know I was. Trying to think of a short answer when I was thinking about this earlier, I was, I was thinking, you know, I don't want to give you my whole life story because it'd be too long. But basically, I started off um, when I was a teenager. My mother's friend was a model in Ireland, and she said um, that my mom should send my sister and I to a grooming school. Now, I didn't come from a family; I came from a kind of a not a wealthy family. We didn't do grooming schools in Ireland where I came from. I went to a convent <laughs> school. My dad yeah. did a normal job. Um, and um, my sister and I, my sister thought it was a dreadful idea. And I thought, oh, my God, that'd be fantastic. And basically, it was a, a kind of an evening course to show you how to do your hair, how to do your makeup, how to get out of a Ferrari without showing your knickers, all that kind of stuff. Very practical. Stuff, <laughs> Stuff that was never going to really be, I never thought that would ever feature in any of my life. I still haven't managed to get out of the Ferrari. Um, <laughs> but um, So it was all about posing for the camera and doing catwalk and stuff that I just thought was entertaining. And um, I got an evening job. I worked in the cash and carry, cleaning the floors after school. I saved up all my money and I went to this course. And it was held in a little... Um, hat shop in Dane Street in Dublin. And it was run by a lady called Anne Murray, who used to be a kind of a supermodel in Ireland. She was probably in her 70s at this stage. So she was um, going to teach us all how to do things to make the best of ourselves, basically. And I loved the course. And I never thought for a second that that course would actually put me on the path to where I am now. But it did. When I finished the course, it was a six-week course, every Tuesday, seven o'clock over the hat shop. When I was finished that, she said, I have a friend who has a little model agency. You you might want to give her a buzz. She might be able to help you. She she might get you some work. So I was still in school at the time. So I contacted this lady um, and I did some wedding fairs and, you know, Mm. nothing great. You know, we're not talking the catwalks in Milan here. We're talking, you know, a little bit of photographic work. I opened the odd supermarket as well. Um, Wedding fairs at the weekend, little bits and bobs. And then I moved to Scotland many years later, joined an agency over there, and they were just brilliant. They they basically put me up for everything. And 
it was only ever meant to be a part-time job until I got a real job. It was a side hustle. It was never meant to be anything else. And um, a friend of mine was an actress. And of course, when you're doing a bit of modeling and I was doing everything else to pay the rent, I was working for event companies. So I worked at a lot of conferences, showing people into the seats. Yes, the toilets are over there. Yeah, let me take you to the buffet. Take this good. You did your time. You did your time. I did my time and I saw hundreds of people talking on stage and I could appreciate the really good ones. And I thought, oh, they're great. And the ones that didn't quite, you know, impress me. Um, so I've been working yeah. in that environment for a long time. And um, then a friend of mine was going for a casting. I'm going to make the short, I promise. And um, it was for a pilot. And in the pilot was David Frost and Eamon Holmes. And I wasn't up for an audition. I was meeting her afterwards for a coffee. And I was waiting outside the casting studio in Edinburgh. Started to rain. And I thought, we'll just wait inside so we don't get wet. And anyone who's listening, who goes for castings, who goes for auditions, if it's raining, make sure you go. Because people don't go. No one turned up for this casting. There was my friend, (laughs) um, someone else, and um, the casting director came out and he said, oh, are you here for the casting? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm just meeting my friend, Fenella. And he said, well, would you like to audition? And I said, "Um, well, no, I can't really because it's not mine. It's my friend's. And, you know, (laughs) there's like a code of ethics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went in and he said, Fenella, would you mind if your friend auditioned? And because I'd never done anything like that before, she said, yeah, go ahead. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. She said, yeah, be good experience because she knew I wanted to, you know, break into presenting. So lo and behold, I went in, auditioned, and they gave me the job. Um, wow, so, fabulous. fabulous. She's, she's still my best friend to this day. So I'm, I'm um, glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so my very first audition, um, my very first piece to camera was with Eamon Holmes on one side and David Frost on the other side. And it was never made into anything. We made the pilot. It was never picked up by anyone. But it didn't matter because I had a video, going back a bit now, had a video of myself on a news desk with these two kind of giants of TV on either side. And with that, like, you know, three-minute clip, I sent it to every London agent. I was living in Edinburgh at the time. Sent it to every London agent. Nobody replied apart from one person who said, well, you know, I've never heard of you, but you do have these two guys on either side. Come and see me and let's give it a go. I'll give you three months and we'll see how we get on. And that was Wendy Downs, who was my guardian angel. She was the only agent who said, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And um, yeah, Wendy made things happen. My first job working for Wendy was she got me working on a series of holiday shows that ended up on CNN. And I was the very first one was I spent months on a fishing boat in Ireland (laughs) making fishing programs. Oh, goodness. Um, Well, they're not saying you're somewhere warmer. No. Yeah. So I I was in Ireland for the first three years, filming everything in Ireland, golf courses, places to fish, holiday resorts, everything. And that's where I learned everything. Um, The first day on the job, I was with these two old, older, they'll kill me for saying that, older BBC um, cameraman and soundman. There was only three of us. And we were going off to Ireland for six weeks to film places to fish. And they knew I hadn't any experience and they kept trying to get rid of me. They kept asking the production company, please, can we have someone else? We don't want her. She hasn't done it before, please. Right. No. Yeah. 
Um, and um, we had to do two programs a day, two five-minute programs a day. So we were in a van dashing from this lake to that lake to that port. Oh, you know, it, it was a crazy schedule. So Hard work, I had to get yeah. Up, yeah, I had to go up to speed and I had to do it quickly. So I said to the guys, look, we're stuck together for six weeks. You've tried to get rid of me unsuccessfully. So let's just make the best of it. You help me and I promise I'll get better. So they shouted at me quite a lot. No, Trish, that's rubbish. Do it again. Do it again. No, no, no. Oh, that was good. Yeah, do it like that. So we filmed two programs a day and then we went back to the hotel room that night and we edited it all on paper, wrote down all the codes. Then it was collected by a courier that night. So I ended up working with those guys for nearly five years. We did all sorts of programs all over the world, you know, thousands of hours to camera. And um, that's where I kind of... What's interesting about that is it's not a, it's not like you could have done a ton of preparation, right? The, the way to learn how to do something is literally just to do it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And to have people who are willing to help you, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. People who want you to succeed, who, because it was the three of us, so you know, we wanted to be booked again and we wanted another job and the money was quite good. And we had a lot of fun together. We really did. We had a great time. Um, and we became a little team and we became like clockwork. We became really quick, you know? We yeah. Were, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> shared, shared yeah. trauma, I think. Yeah. Uh, what, what, the other thing I find interesting is, um, earlier when you were working at conferences and you, you were showing people in, but you also had the opportunity to observe the speakers, um, and I think that's another practical tip, perhaps, for someone who's just starting out, because instead of just going to conferences and, you know, sort of just experiencing the talk, maybe with a lot of intentionality, pay close attention to the speaker and what the yes. speaker is doing for, before you even do your own talks or apply or whatever. Go to conferences <laughs> and just pay attention. Yeah. And I always think that the people that have the most impact are the people who are relaxed in their own skin. People who, whether they actually are or not, is beside the point, but they portray that they're very relaxed and, you know, they're just there for a bit of a chat. And people who kind of walk around the stage, who talk with their hands, who are a little bit animated, people who are super terrified tend to stick behind the stand and everything happens so no one really sees them they see head and shoulders and then they're behind the stand and slides but I always say to people um when you get out on that stage yeah you might be super terrified but just stand in the middle of the stage when you get there and just greet the audience just say hello good morning welcome i'm delighted to be here thank you for having me i'll try and get through as many of your questions as i can but if i can't come and find me afterwards there's lots of coffee lots of breaks come and see me or contact me on the app whatever i'm here for you so come and see me anything just a couple of lines just to engage with the audience to let them see you and then once you've said hello i'm delighted to be here or whatever it is you want to say then you can go over and you can stand behind and you can go through your slides. Um, and at least they've seen you then. And there's a little bit of a connection. So I think it's nice to not just rush on and go straight to the stand where your laptop is, but let them see you. And it it's a less intense. Long. Yeah, it's a less intense version of, of Bill Clinton's sitting there for two <laughs> minutes fussing with his papers. Oh, I just I can't get over that. That's uh, yeah. wow. Uh, you just reminded me of another little uh, 
technique somebody taught me, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was, but thank you, <laughs> uh, veteran speaker. Uh, you mentioned clickers and the clickers uh, sabotaging you and going four slides forward or whatever. Uh, the advice I was given was, you know, in the old movies, you have that kind of countdown thing where it says three, two, one, and then yeah. the movie starts. If you put in three slides at the start of your presentation that are just numbers, three, two, one, as a countdown, uh, then when you go up on stage, you can flick backwards and forwards between them. And the audience won't bat an eyelid. They won't care. And you're not revealing, you're not revealing your slides ahead of time. Uh, oh, that's but it a lets, good idea. It lets you get used to the clicker. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. So yeah, another little, another little practical one. I'm so sorry, I can't remember who taught me that, but thank you very much. <laughs> Random. Speaker. Yeah. Um, no, I like that one. Speaking of being comfortable in your own skin, um, there's a new challenge has arisen now because of COVID and the fact that we have a lot more virtual meetups and conferences and talks and that type of stuff. I know things are are. A lot of things are kind of going back to in-person, but hybrid is here to stay and virtual is here to stay. And a lot of events are by choice, uh, remote. Uh, so a lot of speakers end up, uh, as well as speaking in person, speaking to camera or speaking to their laptop uh, yeah. more accurately. Uh, and I've done this and we, we were speaking about this a little bit before we came on. It's so hard. Uh, I find it. It, I, I know it's ironic to say I find it a little bit easier to speak to an actual audience, but with no feedback, uh, you know, back of my head is going, oh, you know, if I am I disconnected? Is can the audience even see me? Um, you work behind camera a lot, so how do you do it? How do you come across with energy, all that sort of stuff? I actually find talking to a camera a whole lot easier than I do talking to a live audience because you're just looking. At the camera, you don't even see the person behind the camera. You just see the lens, right, really, this right. inanimate object. So um, I think a lot of people, when they start out, and I know I felt this, that you don't want to be too smiley and too, because you feel a bit silly. You know, mm. you think, oh, you know, that's, that's a bit idiotic. But that's where taping yourself really comes in handy. Because when you look back, you have to be larger than life. And I don't mean like totally over the top, but you have to ramp up the energy a bit when you're doing stuff to camera because it looks, because you might think that you're like, oh, hi, welcome, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't look like that when you actually film yourself. So filming yourself and looking back at, and okay, just, okay. just assessing, yeah, that was a bit flat. Not enough energy. Yeah, that was right. You need to be more energy so you need to bring more energy rather than if you're talking to one or two people you have to like bring it you have to elevate it get that energy going and taping yourself and looking at it is a great way to do it but make sure that when you're doing it on even if it's on your laptop a lot of people end up looking at themselves on the screen because they see themselves there but make sure that you look at the camera um because if you're looking at the camera Obviously, the audience that are looking at you, it looks like you're looking at them. You're engaging with them. You're in their living room. You're on their laptop. Whereas if you look at yourself in the icon on the screen, you're looking down. So you're not engaging with the audience. So although you're looking at the green light where your camera is, um, the audience on the other side 
the hybrid audience, the virtual audience that are joining you, they really feel engaged. So try and make sure that you look at the camera would be my advice um, on your laptop, on your device, whatever, um, and not at yourself. If you're doing, obviously, you're listening to somebody else that's totally different. But if if you have center stage, you're the one doing the talk, look at the camera because then the audience will really feel that you're talking to them. And would you I'm almost sure say, you-, you know, almost don't, <laughs> almost turn off your own, well, the, the little video display or whatever. So you, you don't, you're not even distracted by that. Actually, that's a good point because it's easy to get distracted about, oh, look at my hair, look at this. look, Yeah. And I suppose, again, that's another one of those stones that we were talking about. Like it's another thing to get rid of so that you're not distracted, so that you're giving your full attention, your full concentration to, um, yeah, that's a good idea, actually. And going all the way back to that hat shop, what about your physical appearance? Is there anything specific to camera that you need to think about? I think um, learning how to do your own hair and makeup, which, you know, for a... For a girl, obviously, um, because when I started, you know, all the budgets had been slashed. There was nobody there to do you up or sort your hair out or tell you what to wear. You did it all yourself. You know, you brought your own clothes, you did your own hair, you did your own makeup. And that course that I did in the hat shop, I knew how to do I knew how to do all of those things. And it really is invaluable because a bit of makeup and the right hairdo can transform anybody. It really can. You know, it can take you from looking like you've just got out of bed to like, you know, right, I'm TV ready. Um, I mean, that is the, that is the problem with, with a lot, of, especially in the techie scene, right? A lot, of, a lot of remote events, people literally have just got out of bed, put on a hoodie yeah. and there you go, right? Um, but you know what else? Um, and... Um, colors are really important when you're on stage. And um, I don't know if you know this, but there's certain colors that do, that release dopamine in our brain and makes the audience think that you're reliable, you're honest, you're one of them. They believe what you're saying. And uh, kind of a denim blue, that lovely, kind of slightly darker than a powder blue um, shirt on a man does wonderful things to people's brains. And if you look at politicians, when they're out on the campaign trail and they want people to believe them and trust them, um, they usually wear a kind of a denim blue color shirt with the sleeves rolled up and they'll have the top two buttons open. I and know that, that says, book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of you. You can trust me. Um, then, you know, Donald Trump, white shirt, red tie. I'm in charge. Powerful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pale pink for ladies again, dopamine. We all love that pale pink. Beware of yellow though, because um yellow, there was studies done, which I just read quite recently, um, that most people, if they're having a baby and they're not sure what color to paint the nursery, they might go for yellow because they think, well, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, so I won't go pink or blue. I'll go for yellow. But did you realize that a baby cries 20% more in a yellow room than they no do way. In, really? in a pink Yeah, than they do in a pink or a blue room. So it's great if you want to be noticed, like, you know, a really bright color because you're on the stage, you want people to look at you, you want to be memorable, you want them to be able to catch up with you later on. Oh, there's that yellow jacket. That's gotcha. Trish. Right. Yeah. I'll go over, have a chat with her because it's usually a sea of navy, a sea of black um gray i like to throw a bit of color in um and 
color can really do amazing things. So yeah, so just be careful. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but and and I mean, obviously, there's <laughs> there's a whole bunch of you can go really deep on that stuff, but just to pay attention to it in the first place. Yeah, Not to exactly. Let it happen by yeah. accident. That's that's yeah. That, that's really really interesting. Um, yeah. I, what, what 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 strikes me, Trish, about your experience is the way that um, it's not inherent, right? You didn't you didn't just walk into the job. Uh, there was a lot of hard work, and then there's a lot of applied practical knowledge to make it happen. Um, and, and I remember you saying you you got to watch the speakers rehearse the day beforehand. Yeah, um, yeah, I did. That's the secret, really, isn't it? The hard work beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I'm in my 50s now. I won't tell you how far into my 50s I am, but I am. Um, and yeah, it's been like, you know, a journey for sure. It really has. And every time I do a job, I mean, I work at the UN quite a lot now. I moderate panel debates in many different languages and I get to interview incredible people. And I'm very lucky that I get some, you know, really exciting jobs to do i get some that are not exciting too don't get me wrong you know <laughs> it's not all great but um yeah it's definitely been a journey and i think for me the main learning has been to to take something from everything i see other presenters i see other moderators and i think oh yeah that's great and what i think works really well with speakers is when they tell a story when they give an example so it's all very well going okay these are the facts these are the figures you know death by powerpoint figures everywhere i think when somebody goes okay let me tell you about a client i have and what happened to him this was his problem and we thought this was the solution and this is what happened people love a story when a speaker gives a story or they give an example, it really brings it to life. And you can really see the audience pay attention because they just yeah. love a story. Yeah. We all love a story, you know. Um, and I think too much PowerPoint and looking at the PowerPoint while you're reading what's on the PowerPoint is never a good thing. Maybe have and, a few facts up there and, you yeah. know, throw a few stories and a few examples. It's it's easier to to talk uh, when you're telling a story as well, isn't it? it because you know it, because if you, by definition, you're an absolute expert in the story. Uh, if you're nervous, it's still something that you can do on stage without messing it up. You don't have to remember anything because it's it, it was real lived experience for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the majority of speakers have so much knowledge. They have so many funny stories. They don't have to be funny, but they have so many entertaining stories about what happened and what succeeded and the benefits and the challenges people love to know what went wrong and how you fixed it and um yeah there's lots of interesting things that you can throw in that are just small and subtle so you can have all your facts and figures because a lot of audiences that's where they're there that's what they want but not everybody operates in that way there'll be people in that audience that will want a little bit of a story and so try and throw in elements that will appeal to as many people in the audience as you possibly can. But again, when you're nervous, all these things kind of go out the window. But if you have a structure before you go on and you have your cards and even on the, the fourth card, you write down, you're going to tell your little story about John O'Brien from Dublin and what he did, um, whatever it is, just so it keeps you on track. 
you're not worried about missing anything, you're getting the content in, and it just alleviates some of the nerves because you know that you have that side of things covered. You're not going to forget anything. You're going to have everything in there. And all um, the stones have been taken out of your pocket and you're ready to exactly. walk onto the stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Empty pockets. Yes, indeed. Trish, so thank you so much. It's a strange thing to say, but thank you for leaving us with empty pockets. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just, I just, uh, I just loved this talk because there's just so much practical stuff there, um, as opposed to you know, oh, you, you know, you just, you just need to get on stage and have a big personality or whatever. None of that. It's all about the little details, um, which is fabulous practical advice. Thank you so much, Trish. It has been wonderful and very, very informative and useful. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgeek.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter, at Boxgeek. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.